Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You'll also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of our show. And this one is one I'm looking forward to because we're going to get to visit with Tim Bradley, uh, the former world champion and now fine broadcaster on ESPN. We're also going to get to answer some of your questions, some good ones that you gave us this week. And I'll have a flashback uh, from my days of doing the top-ranked boxing series on ESPN, which is fertile ground for some of these flashbacks because we had some unique experiences during uh, that time. And to help me do all of this, uh, my co-host, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you today? I am great. And more importantly, the sport of boxing is great. We have been through the pandemic, pandemic and things are opening up, including a couple top-ranked fights coming up sooner rather than later. Yeah, boxing is coming back, and it's, uh, it's going to start on June 9th, and, uh, and then there will be a number of fights. And then in July, we anticipate uh, our Showtime fights coming back, uh, along with some of the uh, Fox fights. And DeZon, interestingly, uh, Eddie Hearn had a, uh, a kind of a press meeting uh, briefing in uh, which he uh, said that the um, – the reports of the demise of DeZone are greatly exaggerated. And he said it while they did suffer during this, uh, that streaming uh, outlet for boxing uh, is coming back. They're discussing their schedule. So there will be presumably matches uh, on that outlet as well. So boxing fans will have a full plate of boxing action available to them very soon. DeZone is an interesting company. They bet a lot of money on Alvarez, a lot of money. And yeah. without having those monthly streams out there, they're not getting a lot of money in. Yeah, now they didn't, a lot of the, the uh, I don't know that they've refunded uh, during those months uh, that they, they were off. And some have, you know, speculated that that would have led to maybe some decline in their, uh, uh, in their number of uh, subscribers. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen. But they're in probably the most precarious situation of all the boxing providers because they're a sports entity relying specifically, not just the boxing, they have other things, but boxing's a big part of it. And if there is, but live sports totally uh, kind of, you know, uh, describes them. And they, so they are probably the one that would suffer the most from this. Clearly ESPN uh, has, you know, they, they're going to, they're getting by with their total uh, enormity of programming. Uh, in Showtime, we're an entertainment network. The boxing is a part of it. So not having it doesn't define the network. Uh, and um, Fox, clearly an entertainment network as well. So when you look at all this, the zone was the one that, uh, that was likely to suffer the most. And it appears that they will be back providing boxing soon. So for boxing fans, that's good news. And on a personal level, is this the longest you've ever gone in your career with not getting on an airplane? Yes, it is exactly that. Yeah, we talked about it the other day. There was, there was, um, I've never gone this long without being on an airplane. It is, and it, 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 since I was 30 years old, from the age of 30 to now, when I am what pushing 44, 
Um, <laughs> I've never, never had this long a period. So yeah, I'm, uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, I, we'll see what happens. The first uh, show for, for uh, Showtime might be within driving distance. We're seeing what it is. And if it is, I will. But uh, airplanes are going to be in my future for sure. And just a quick follow-up, what's the most exotic place you've ever gone to call a fight? Oh, my God, exotic. Uh, well, the most uh, elegant was Monte Carlo. I did fights in Monte Carlo. Um, wow. Yeah, that was the couple of times went to Monte Carlo, and it was just it, – Monte Carlo is, you know, what I would hope it would be and uh, was, you know, was just uh, – was great. We've done it – I've done it at strange locations, you know, uh, we did one on an aircraft carrier for ESPN. We, I, I've done it in uh, the Gardnerville. Uh, they call it the Cow Patty Festival. Uh, and <laughs> we did it out in a field, right? Luckily, there were no cow patties near us. But um, so in terms of actual places, I did it in a baseball field in, uh, uh, in, in uh, San Juan. And somebody was talking about this recently, Dan Raphael. It was a fight between Azuma Nelson and uh, Fredo Gomez. And they had kind of a mini riot afterwards because Gomez lost. Carl King got shot in the leg. Um, and Charlie Steiner and I, we had to run for our lives. So that one was pretty crazy. We'll, we'll probably make, in fact, maybe I'll make that one a flashback in the next uh, few weeks. Well, the nice thing about running with Charlie is you only have to be a little bit faster than him. <laughs> yeah. Charlie is not a speedster. And back in those <laughs> days, I, I could certainly outrun him. So okay. see what happens. Well, uh, last week's show, you made some news uh, in an interesting fashion. You talked about a former mayor of Washington, D.C., um, <laughs> having some fun in Vegas. <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I've gotten a lot of laughs. People have talked to me about that. That There were some strange things that went on in Vegas before and during fights. <laughs> yeah, that was the, uh, the I, I got a lot of reaction to it as well. Um, and if you, you, you're wondering what we're talking about, revisit last week's uh, last episode of the show, and you'll see it was a story about Marion Barry and, uh, uh, and Butch Lewis, the boxing promoter, two very flamboyant figures uh, who uh, were watching my uh, music show and um, participated in some extracurricular activities in a live public setting that were not really appropriate on any level um i'll leave it at that but it's so it's been uh, i've gotten uh, some interesting feedback from that everybody got a good laugh from it and the other story that we've told on the podcast was you're going into a men's room after a fight and a gentleman go ahead one more time because i've got so many comments from people about this <laughs> yeah i ended up going this was in rhode island where i went in after a crazy situation with the fights and uh, the guy came to the urinal right next to me and pulled out a gun and let it sit there and, you know, could have stood at any urinal, stood right there and asked me what I thought of the crazy goings on that had happened in the fight. And uh, I said, what did you think of the fight? And I said, I, whatever you want me to think, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, he, you know, eventually left, took the gun with him and then gave me a warning. He said, you know, there's some crazy people out there. You want to be careful so you don't bump into them. So a little late with the advice, but nonetheless, it was, it was sound advice. So you called Martin Scorsese and he has a new scene for his next film. Yeah, exactly. And we got a lot of more of those to come. So if you, as you listen and watch the, this show, uh, uh, believe me, I've got a treasure chest of those. So we'll, we'll get more of them. That's great. Um, 
Wilder, some changes going on with him. Uh, he wasn't happy with his corner on the last fight. Um, how's this going to affect the rematch that's hopefully coming up later this summer? Well, you know, next week we're going to have Joe Goosen as uh, our, our guest um, on our next uh, episode. And Joe, of course, the Fox broadcaster, uh, fine trainer as well. And Joe, this week, uh, just made some interesting comments that we will follow up on with him about the idea that, you know, people, people are kind of down on the idea that Deontay Wilder at this juncture in his career can grow, can alter some of the things that it was perceived were issues for him against Tyson Fury. That, oh, he can't learn new tricks at age, what, 34? Uh, Joe made the point in, the, in an interview uh, that has gotten wide circulation that Tyson Fury literally figured out a new style of boxing in one training camp with Sugar Hill, who was a new trainer that he had with him. And he attributed a lot of it to Sugar Hill uh, for helping him to do it. You all recall that Tyson Fury who has always been a boxer puncher, fighting at range, um, uh, using his height and reach, uh, showing enough movement around the ring, great defensive skills, and then dropping in right hands and using the jab very effectively and being that kind of boxer puncher. He was very different in it, this fight with Wilder. And he told us he was going to be different. Uh, he put on a lot of weight. He came in at 273. He, he, be, he fought in an entirely different style than we have seen him fight before. Joe Goosen's point was, if he could do that in one camp, why can't Deontay Wilder and why, why shouldn't he be able to work on, let's say, things like fighting on the inside, working on diff some different skill sets that weren't apparent in that fight, uh, and, and uh, kind of bringing up to speed some things that might help him in the rematch. Uh, there have been talk about some people joining their um, their camp, the Wilder camp. Mark Breland, of course, is lead of, uh, trainer. He was not happy with Mark Breland for throwing in the towel in that fight. Whether that unhappiness extended to anything else remains to be seen. Mark Breland has been his trainer along um, uh, uh, with JDs, who also trains him. Um, they've been the, his primary trainers for his whole career. So I thought it was interesting what Joe said. Uh, and we're going to find out leading into this fight. And he made the point, look, that fight's at least six months away. Uh, he's already had time. There's more time available. Uh, why shouldn't Deontay Wilder be able to um, fix a few things or even change his approach? We'll find out if he can. And next, in our next episode, we're going to get talk, to talk to uh, Joe Goosen about that. Now, uh, this show, we do a flashback episode every week. And on this week, our flashback is about broadcasting. During the Top Rank Boxing Series on ESPN, there were many times where we would have guests sit in with us, um, sometimes either as the second person. If I was doing play-by-play, -play, sometimes there'd be a, a, a commentator that came on board or it'd be a third person with me and whoever was doing the play-by-play. -play. And on this particular occasion, when in the early 80s, when Ray Mancini was fighting Al Ford, uh, Dwayne Bobbitt, who was, uh, of course, a former Olympian and was then a heavyweight 
contender was joining us to announce that evening. He had been hired to be on the show. So we had a three-man booth. And we were doing our show, and it was going along, you know, okay. Uh, Dwayne was making his contributions here and there. And uh, finally, we got to the main event. And, and Dwayne was a good friend and, uh, and confidant of Ray Mancini and knew him from the, their amateur days. And, uh, and so that was part of the allure of having him on there as well. He had some additional insight into Ray. And the fight starts. And at one point, there's some heated action. And all of a sudden, Dwayne Bobbitt throws off his uh, headphones, jumps to his feet, and starts yelling instructions to Ray Mancini <laughs> to help him in his quest to win the fight. And we were all taken aback. And the producer said, what was that? What was that sound? Who's doing that yelling? <laughs> so I'm trying to tug at Dwayne Bobbick's sleeve and I'm going, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. You know, uh, I'm without talking aloud, you know, I'm trying to make hand signals and face gestures. So finally he sits down and in between the rounds, they tell him, no, you can't, you, you can't do that. You know, that's not part of the deal. Okay. Flash forward to two rounds later, again, a lot of action. He can't control himself. Again, he's up on his feet screaming instructions to Ray Mancini. Um, and so finally, as the broadcast wore on, they impressed upon him the fact that he just couldn't do that anymore or we'd have to ask him to leave the broadcast. And uh, Dwayne said, oh, okay. So he finally uh, acquiesced us. So uh, that was a case where a broadcaster kind of lost their, uh, his objectivity, and uh, I don't. I never really heard Dwayne do much broadcasting after that. I, I don't. I guess he. It didn't really sit well with him the idea of trying to be objective and just call the action. Now, the gentleman we're going to talk to in a moment or two here has never done that as a broadcaster, and I am fairly confident would not do it as a broadcaster. Uh, in fact, he's been uh, excellent uh, at learning his craft. Tim Bradley Jr., who was a 140 and 147 pound champion in boxing. Uh, I was privileged to do many of his fights earlier in his career. Uh, he's a, not only a delightful guy, a, was an excellent fighter, and is a great ambassador for the sport of boxing. Here's our chat with Tim Bradley. Tim, I'm so glad you were able to, to join me today. It's been a while since you and I have, have gotten a chance to communicate because yeah. uh, we're traveling in different circles, but I have admired your uh, broadcasting work from afar, and you've been busy with, uh, with all of that in the la in, up till the recent time when, of course, uh, everything got shut down. Absolutely, Al. You know, we go way back, man. I remember you yes. calling my fights. You know, uh, on Showtime and, uh, you know, Showtime was my family at that time, man. And I really enjoyed those moments, man, listening to you in the broadcast. And I still today, you know, when I listen to you and Polly and all those guys over there, man, I really respect you guys, man, and what you guys bring to the sport. But thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate you. No, you're more than welcome. And, yeah, we did have – it was a, a very enjoyable time when I got to enjoy uh, – to do your early fights. And I wasn't yeah. going to actually lead off with this, but since you mentioned it – um, that was an interesting time in your career when uh, you had beaten Junior Witter for the championship, which was an amazing 
feet that a lot of people kind of, it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. You were a young fighter that had to go across the pond and beat Junior Witter, who was a very talented fighter. Um, and that was no easy task, was it? It wasn't an easy task. Um, Junior Witter at that time was number two right behind Ricky Hatton. And I remember Ricky Hatton not wanting to fight him uh, because he yeah. was so awkward. He was so awkward. Mm -hmm. But when I got my chance to fight him, I, you know, I had studied him, Al, for about, about a year. Mm -hmm. I knew I was going to get in the ring with him. I was rated, I was rated in, the, in, the, in the top 10 for the WBC, and I was just kept inching forward, and I was just like, that's the guy that I'm going to face. That's the guy that everybody's worried about. I got to figure out a way to beat him. So I would study him day in and day out. And uh, it was only one thing that I saw that he did wrong. It was actually two things. Um, one, he faded the second half of most fights. I recognized that by watching film. Two, he would pull back with his hands down constantly. And I knew eventually that I would catch him eventually when, once I let the overhand right go. And when I caught him in the sixth round, oh, did I need that punch? Because I know I would have been behind on the scorecards at that time. But, um, you know, I was able to, you know, seal the deal, win that fight by a point. But going over to the big pond, I think at that time I was the fifth person. Since that time, I think it's been two other guys that done it, Hooker and also Crawford. Yeah. Went over to the big pond and did it. Oh, one more time. One more. I want to say Earl Smith. That's right. Earl went over there to beat uh, – um, um, to beat Kell Brook, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. And your analysis of that fight was perfect because that is, in fact, true. Witter, a very clever boxer, but he did back up. And, and of course, any fighter that will fade in the second part of a fight against you is in trouble because yes. your whole thing as a fighter was you were ready to fight every three minutes of every single round. Absolutely. Yeah. You're exactly right. And, and, and the only fighter that was able, I believe, that was able to outlast me was Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. And that's why I'm so high, high on Manny Pacquiao, how athletic he is, supreme conditioning, um, and most guys will fade. He will get stronger as the fight goes on yeah. as well. So, and plus he had the speed and punching power, uh, and that was that was tremendous. So, you know, dealing with that, dealing with Manny Pacquiao in the ring, man, with that speed and that power and that conditioning is my only defeat. I'm 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 proud about that. I'm proud about that. It's okay, Manny Absolutely. Pacquiao, eight division world champion. Yeah, no, I don't think, you know what, I don't think that's a shame at all. Um, and you had a wonderful career. One of the fights that um, that I, I did with you that was, I think was an important one for you at that time in your career, when you beat Lamont Peterson, because both of you, a very talented fighter, and it was both of you at a time where the question was which one of you was going to take that big leap forward or not, and you performed exceptionally well in that fight. That was a very important fight for you. That was a very important fight, and that was just, I think that was right off of the Nate Campbell, possibly even, no, or maybe, uh, oh, man, who was it that I fought? I fought, um, I don't know why, I can't remember. Nate Campbell was in that group there for a while. It was Nate Campbell, it was the other one, the, the one uh, from Jersey, uh, was it? Uh, Kendall Holt. Kendall Holt, yeah, yes. Kendall. You got me, man. Don't get hit for a living, man. <laughs> <laughs> No, you remember everything. It's not, it's not, you can't remember it all. <laughs> Kendall Hall. And so defeating Kendall Hall, I mean, it gave me confidence to go into a fight against Lamont Peterson. Yeah. Uh, Peterson was a very athletic guy, very strong. He can yeah, box. excellent fighter. He can box. He can come forward. He was tough. 
Um, you know, they, the headbangers, they call them the headbangers. Um, I knew the fight would be tough. I knew that I can stay in the pocket, but I knew it was safer to be on operating on the outside. And so we quickly made that adjustment going yes. into the, the second round. Um, he was just too physically strong in the inside for me. And so we resulted to boxing. And once I started boxing, you know, I found the key. The key element was movement. He was coming forward, and I was able to get off the line and catch him with counters. That was a great performance. Probably one of my best, number two best performance. I think the first best performance that I have, number one, is the Marquez fight. Yeah, that was fantastic. You, and, you know, you, you make an interesting point. You, that uh, adjustment you made was something that not everybody thought you were capable of doing, fighting a fight exactly that way, and you did it flawlessly. Right, right. You know, I was very well-rounded. It wasn't one thing that I can do well. Like, I can right. fight on the inside, but I also can box on the outside. I can use my feet to create different angles. Um, and I was a very good counterpuncher. Um, and then I don't get a whole lot of credit for my defense as well. I was very defensive, very defensive fighter as well. Uh, you know, I was very able to slip inside the shots. I was quick on my feet. Uh, and I had supreme conditioning as well to go along with that, man. And uh, superior IQ. I had a lot of IQ, man. So I can read guys uh, from a mile away. Um, but that's the reason why I was able to make those adjustments. Yeah, at the end of the day, those last two attributes that you gave yourself, which are true, the conditioning and the ability to adjust probably uh, is what gave you a chance to take that step beyond right. where where you might have been. Um, right. Now, fighters now, uh, uh, Tim, as you get ready to uh, to go back into action, announcing the fights in ESPN, and, and we're going to get to one of those in a second or two, but the, now the fighters coming off this period of enforced layoff, Nowadays, fighters don't fight that much. They seem to be pretty much twice a year, if hopefully, if that, sometimes three, but not very often. But this enforced layoff, how does it change their – what is your feeling about how fighters should have been preparing both mentally and physically during this enforced layoff? You know what? This affected everybody. So not only the top guys out there – Right. And the lower and the lower guys that are on the way up. So it's not like you know one party was 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 affected. Everybody was. Yeah. But being a professional, you know, you have to take care of your body. You have to stay in shape. You have to you know train and continue to get better over the course of the year. Um, I think that the guys that were more disciplined during this pandemic, right. during this whole quarantine thing, are the ones that are going to benefit from it. You know, the guys that were, you know, stayed to their craft, the guys that actually found time to train, guys that, you know, really wanted and stayed hungry. And then said, you know what, I'm going to get an edge while everybody's resting. I'm going to continue to work, train, and find ways to develop as a fighter. Two of the people, two, two guests that I've had on this uh, this podcast, two of the guests before you were your, your compatriot, Andre Ward, and also Sean Porter. And their answers to a question just like that were almost exactly the same as yours. It was interesting. <laughs> Without yeah, You guys weren't comparing notes. Almost each one of you, which is fascinating, because the one thing all three of you have in common is that you are 
your whole career, you guys were prepared and ready to go. And of course, Sean is still active. Absolutely. Absolutely. A boxing is not like any other sport. You have to think about it like this. It's, it's basketball. You know, you have your seasons, football, you have your seasons. Right. I know we're right in the middle of the basketball season. Uh, you know, you still see LeBron James being a professional that he is still training, still active, yes. still active. Boxing is a year round sport. You know, there's no time off, really. You know, in between fights, you might get a little time off, but you still got to get back in the gym and keep developing, especially if you're a fighter on the way up. You know, guys like myself who was at the top at the elite level, um, you know, we we find times to, 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 you know, take off and relax. We believe in ourselves. We've already, you know, have the credit. We won the championship. We have to maintain a certain status. We can do that. That's okay. But the guys on the way up, like Shakur Stevenson, getting ready to fight June 9th. That guy right there, 13-0, and 0, uh, just won a world championship not too long ago. He was supposed to fight against Mariaga, but that fight was canceled. But now he's back on again. Um, and, you know, guys like that, they need to stay active and stay regularly in the gym constantly, continue to get better to perfect their craft, man. Yeah, Shakur Stevenson taking on Felix uh, Caraballo uh, on June 9th, the fight that you will announce. and. Uh, he's moving up to 130 for this fight, and he's kind of in between whether he wants to continue to fight for a title at 126 or stay at 130. Um, the upside of Shakur Stevenson, you've had a chance to announce a number of his fights early in his career. What makes him, do you think, a potentially special fighter? What makes him special is is, is, is he has that, that formula that Mayweather used all along. Uh, more, of course, the back end of Mayweather's career, def defense. You know, Shakur Stevenson allows probably like two jabs, maybe a, a jab and a half around. Yeah. And you know, and you understand, you know boxing now, Al, like, any, like everybody does, you know, uh, that's in his business, man. If you can't land your jab, it's so yeah. hard to get any offense off. Yeah. And that's what he does. He takes the opponent's jab away from them by controlling distance, something that Mayweather does. I call Mayweather the master of distance. He controls that distance very well. And this young man reminds me of Floyd Mayweather. You know, I think this young man, I'm so highly on this guy. Mm. I think he's the next successor of boxing. I believe wow. that he's the next one. I call Terrence Crawford now, and I'm calling Shakur Stevenson to probably be the next successor. He's 22 years old. Yeah, he's so young. He's a baby. He's a baby. He has so he's grown since he turned professional, professional, professionally. He's grown so much, leaps and bounds, to get to the world championship. And I just like what I see with him. Defense. He's very, uh, I want to say, um, uh, fundamentally sound. He's probably the most technical young guy that I've seen in a long time. I like a guy like Lopez, who's also pretty technical, yeah. but he doesn't have the feet. He doesn't have the feet that Shakur has. He has punching power, but doesn't have the feet that Shakur has. A guy like, uh, you know, Ryan Garcia, you know, yeah. who, I, who I like as well. Quick hands, but hasn't won a world championship yet. He's still young. He's still on the rise. But uh, Shakur, I, I like him a lot, and uh, he has a great team. Andre Ward, my colleague, is a yes. part of his team. Uh, he befriended uh, Terrence Bud Crawford. Right. So another guy who's number one pound for pound, who I thought was going to be number one pound for pound for someday, and he is now, um, which is great for him. And I just think that moving forward in his career, 
at this moment, whatever he does from this point on, he's just going to add to his legacy. That's it. I mean, I remember Floyd Mayweather, 18 and 0 when he, I believe it was 18 and 0 when he won a world championship. Yeah. This kid won a world championship with 13 professional fights. That's, that's, that's unbelievable. That's great. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, unless you're Lomachenko, who wins it in your second pro. <laughs> oh, that's well, Lomachenko's a different, a different. Yeah, he's a different. He's a whole other animal. But yeah, but you're 100 right. And of course, at 130, should he stay up there? Some great fights for Shakur Stevenson, Miguel Burchelt, uh Oscar Valdez, maybe Carl Frampton, depending on what what happens there. But there's a lot of lot of good fights for him. Uh, and now you you mentioned a lot of the young fighters and and some of the people that you've been announcing. You made the transition into broadcasting in a uh, what I thought was a pretty seamless way. You know, you you, uh, uh, you you got a lot of reps and a lot of opportunities, which is important. It's it's no different than boxing or anything else. Uh, it's about getting you know the chance to to ply the the craft. You, I feel that you probably thought you were headed for that uh, during your career. When did you consciously start to think that broadcasting could be a good idea for you? Mm, you know, it was, I have to say it was kind of, it was, it wasn't really planned. It was, it was, uh, something that I spoke about with Todd DeBuff, my wife and I spoke about it. And, uh, you know, I got a couple opportunities with True TV. Then I got an opportunity with ESPN with, uh, Mr. Teddy Atlas at the time. Um, I, you know, just learning, kind of learning the ropes of things. Um, and then, um, I get a call just to work a couple of more shows and I'm like, sure, why not? And next thing you know, I'm like, where's Teddy? You know, I had no clue what was going on at all. Um, and it was a surprise. It was a surprise to me because I had very little experience, you know, it was right. something that I always wanted to do, but it was like, how can I get my foot in the door? You know, how, how can I, how can I um, sort of uh, get my foot in the door and, and move in a position where I could hold my own, you know. Yeah. This job, you don't. It don't come with a manual. It didn't no. come with a manual, and that's right. the thing. That's the thing, Al. You know, it doesn't come with a, a manual when no. you're doing replays. That don't come with a manual. Right. You know, what you're witnessing, how you're explaining it, it doesn't come with it. So I got a chance to learn the ropes. You know. What was the? A lot of practice. Go what, ahead. Yeah. What was the hardest transition? Uh, in in terms of uh, of figuring out what what was the right uh, methodology for you as a broadcaster, you know one of the hardest things is is giving a fighter away completely for me, mm -hmm. giving them away completely because I can break these guys down. I can tell you the pluses and minuses, but you know you got to try to find a balance between the good and the bad. Right, that's right. <laughs> and I have to, to learn that. I have to learn that because a lot of the times I always pay attention to the bad for some apparent reason. I just always pay attention to bad because it's like, it's like... Trying to fix mistakes in a way, right? Yeah, yeah because once, once you get that blueprint out on you, then a lot of guys are going to defeat you once the blueprint is set out on you. So I always like to try to fix the bad and let these guys know but I also got to know that I got to, I got to give them right. the good as well. And what I like to see. So that's been the hardest thing. And then plus the, the replays, uh, what I'm witnessing, what I'm witnessing is just like, it's so quick. You don't even, sometimes you don't even get a chance and you know, cause you do yeah. the replays, 
You don't even get a chance to see what you guys are going to be doing a replay about. Yeah, they may give you a hint, but in the earphones, but you're not. And the and the trick with the replay that sometimes, no, you know, the the greatest professional fall into this habit, right, of just kind of repeating what you're seeing, which is not your job. Your job is to say why it's happening or explain how it had reference to the that round or whatever, but it's human nature to kind of say, hey, that was really a good right hand. Well, we know that already, right? <laughs> exactly. That was a really good right hand, but you have to explain the how and you have to explain the why. Yeah, that's precisely correct. And why it happened. So um, that's been that's been kind of difficult as well at times. Um, but as the more reps you get, the better you get. I think the biggest thing for me was was the studio segments. Um, the yeah, studio segments that that was tough for me. I I, I love to call the fights. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll sit down there. I love to sit back and call the fights and just tell you what I see. But the studio segments were were kind of frustrating for me because it was just uh, I had to get used to it. The pressure right. that. Just that little light over there just kind of just nerve-wracked me, man. And sometimes yeah. I might stumble across words. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, you've, you've been there before. I'm in the mid, probably in the beginning. Absolutely. It's a challenging, it's a challenging environment because it, you don't have the fight happening in front of you. You kind of blend into that, but this is all you. It's all you. And then, and then another thing I would have to say is you got to have thick skin in this business. Uh, any announcer, any announcer, you got to have thick skin. Absolutely. Because if you can't take the criticism that comes yeah. along with this job, you don't belong in it. Yeah. And I honestly have to say that uh, I have to thank the fact that the controversy with Manny Pacquiao and I went through all that controversy. Right, controversy right. That actually helped me. That actually helped me. Interesting. Yeah. Prepare for the idea that people are going to say negative things. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm not bothered by anything anyone say um, now. And so if anyone, any fighter that wants to get in his position, they have to be able to tell the truth, yeah. <laughs> you know, as much as possible, not lie to the fans out there, you know, because we can all say that a fighter is great and he's all this and all that and all that. We can all say that. But who can say, oh, he's OK? Who can say, I don't know, you know, and that's me. That's me. Yeah. I'm going to be completely honest with you, man. And I don't care what you say or what you think about me. So. Yeah, well, and that, yeah, and that's kind of the, 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 one of your, um, one of the hallmarks of what, you know, of what you're doing and you're, yeah. you're, uh, you're doing a great job of it and, uh, everybody's enjoying, uh, you know, I, I, um, uh, Two of my favorite people on the planet are on that broadcast. And I love Joe as well, but you and Andre are two of my favorite people in the world of boxing. So I enjoy hearing you guys. I appreciate that, Al, for real, man. That means a lot coming from you, man. You've been doing this a long time, baby. And I always always go back and I always follow and listen to your broadcast, man, to try to get better. And I wrote down some notes just recently because I've had time to just sit back and study. Uh See, this is just not like – it's just like training. It's just yes. like boxing. It's just you you can't sit back and just think you got to go call a fight. You have to study different films and different commentary from different sports. You know, I'm constantly working. I'm in the car talking to myself, trying to get my flow right. You know, it's all day, every day, seven days a week. So, you know, it's 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 if you're serious about whatever you do, you're gonna work at it no matter what. I'm serious about That's what for sure. 
Yeah, that's a very good point because the, the working at it is the most important part of it. Well, Tim, you are working at it. And just like your boxing career, when you were the most diligent, you were always the guy that was going to be more diligent than the other guy. And that was, a, in addition to talent, that's part of the reason why he succeeded. So, yes, exactly. You're exactly right. Yeah, I wanted, I just now. wanted it more. I just wanted it more than my opponent. And, and that's that, for sure. You know, I wasn't the most athletic and I wasn't the quickest and I didn't have a whole lot of punching power. But let me tell you something. I I needed to feed my family and I wanted to win. And sometimes that's all it takes. A hungry dog in the ring. And that's what right. The drive to succeed and you have that now and you're doing a great job yes, with sir. it. I so much appreciate you visiting with us and down the line, hopefully we can do it again. Mr. Bernzing, I appreciate you, baby. All right. Thank you. All right, buddy. Take care, Tim. Take it easy, buddy. So a delightful chat with uh, Tim Bradley. Uh, it's really fun to visit with him. Uh, I had such a good time announcing his fights early in his career, and it was so always so enjoyable to interact with him. And I'm delighted that he uh, that he is now making his way uh, into the world of boxing trip, and uh, and he's working very hard at broadcasting. Well, it's funny because we've had interviews with three fighters, Porter Ward and uh, Bradley, and they are similar and. It's kind of cool that these quality guys have made the transition into broadcasting where you can do it for a lot of years and be a great voice for your sport. Yeah, and they are similar. You know, they're, they're different. And, of course, they're different in the way they fight in the ring. They're different men. But their core approach to boxing and to things outside of boxing is almost exactly the same. And the proof of that is that when I ask them each this essentially the same question about uh, how do you? How should fighters approach this time off get to be ready? Their answers were eerily similar about you know the need to be prepared that you shouldn't have wasted this time. You shouldn't have let this time just go by uh, without being prepared. And you know, all three of them, if they were in this position, for sure uh, would do that. Uh, we have questions, do we not, from our uh, our, our fans? And I'd love to entertain some of those. As usual, we got some great questions. The first one, during the shutdown, it seems we've seen endless lists, rating boxers and matches, et cetera. Is this interesting to you? And the guy wrote, and uh, he said, it's not really interesting to me. He wants to see action. So what's your thoughts on that? I am sick. I'm, first of all, I'm not a list guy. I hate lists. And in my book, um, 30 Years, 30 Under I Will Choose, I did a chapter. <laughs> in which I, for the first time, actually made some lists because I've spent a career avoiding making lists. I, I find lists to be ridiculous. I really do. You know, the hottest, the greatest, the most interesting, the this, the that. So subjective. And so often, it, it, to me, it diminishes uh, whatever it is you're trying to talk about, whether it's something in entertainment or it's something in sports. And during this, you know, shutdown period, because we've had no action to discuss and no specific news to discuss, people's minds have wandered to this. And every two days on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, or, or broadcast media, uh, radio or TV, you hear somebody deciding to make the all-time greatest fighter list or just something came out just the other day, the best jabs of all time in boxing. I, honestly, I just find it uh, annoying and pointless. I really do. And, and, and it's so subjective. And then some of the lists 
are so ridiculous and so off uh, off the wall that it you know. So I am not a list guy, and and I I find it just to be um, uh, an exercise in futility. Other than that, I like them. <laughs> We know how you feel. So the next question, Al, we need a, le a list of the best Southpaw. Now, we're getting rid of that question. <laughs> you had that one all set for me, and darn it, I just killed it. Oh, shoot. That was teed up. Killer. Will it be harder announcing boxing with no fans in the stands? That's a very good question. Um, you know, we had, there was a, a, of course, UFC has already had a couple of shows uh, under those circumstances. We, Showbox actually did a show just before the, everybody was really shutting down for the pandemic. They did a show in which they were, they didn't have fans in the stands. There's some people, a smattering of people there, uh, but there were very, almost, almost no one. Uh, and I thought that show was interesting to watch. And I thought they approached it with the right amount of energy in the right way. I believe that the lack of crowd will have absolutely no impact or shouldn't have any impact on how you announce the fight. Uh, I believe that it, you're still going to be excited in the parts you're excited in. Uh, you're going to be uh, analytical in the parts you should be just analytical in. And, and I think, you know, the, the temptation may be to talk too much because you're trying to fill all the, the holes. Uh, or or over pump the event because you don't have the natural sound of the crowd. I hope that all sportscasters uh, and all boxing announcers avoid doing both those things. I will certainly endeavor to do that, and I hope my my team will. And I'm it's probably something we'll address in all our meetings leading up to it. But I think it should be business as usual. And uh, and if it is business as usual, and on that showbox fight, I I thought they did approach it that way. And I those matches provided some action and they were fun to watch. And interestingly enough, you talked in a previous show about the fact that you watched the fight from a monitor. Yeah. And maybe the announcers who don't, who are standing, looking around, they might be missing the crowd, interaction with the crowd, at least on the periphery a lot. That's a good point. Maybe if you're looking up at the ring and, uh, and you're relying a little bit more on the live uh, essence, you know, and of course I, I'm not, when I do that, I'm not completely detached from the crowd. And it is part of that energy certainly is a big part of the show. And it is a bit, and it, and I'm not going to suggest that it doesn't in some ways influence your enthusiasm or your, uh, what you do, but I don't think it should be a main determining factor. So we'll see how it goes, but I, I don't personally see uh, that many pitfalls. Have you ever done, when you were doing the Olympics for NBC, did you ever do a fight where you weren't at the building, but were in a remote studio? Not at the Olympics, but I've done it many times. We've done shows uh, where you're in a remote. I've done it for Showtime five or six times where we're in New York and we're doing a fight that's in Europe uh, and we see it on a big screen. So, uh, and I know some announcers are very uh, skeptical of whether that works as well. And by the way, I think the Fox broadcasters are going to do that or not Fox, excuse me, the ESPN broadcasters are going to do that for the June 9th fight that they, uh, uh, you know, that they, they have. So, um, so, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, you can do it. And I've done it on a number of occasions. Just makes it a little bit more difficult, I would imagine. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And our final question, you've been in, uh, had the opportunity because of your amazing acting chops <laughs> to be on, 
that a number it? of movies and TV shows. And there are too many, well, IMDb uh, shut down. I was doing some research on it earlier, and it was just <laughs> too big of a power grab. But, oh, it's uh, such a list. What yeah. have been your favorites? You know, uh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the reason I got on those shows was not just to play myself. I think it was because, well, here's the thing. They said, who can we get to play him that would be better than him? So <laughs> my acting, the level of my acting ability is such that there's one role I'm really good at playing, it's me. Um, and I have played a few other roles where I was somebody else, but uh, I, it's been a lot of fun getting to do movies. You know, I've been in a number of them and some, a bunch of TV series as well. Probably the, mo the one that I enjoyed the most, it was so fun, I was on it twice, uh, Robert Wall had a great series called Arliss on, uh, on HBO. And I guessed it on it twice. And the second time I guessed it was fascinating because almost like a life imitating art thing. It was right at the time when I was kind of moving off or some would say getting pushed off the, the uh, ESPN fight series to do other things at ESPN. Uh, and in this show, the Arliss show, uh, the, the way the plot happens a client of Arliss's, even though I'm also a client of Arliss, some other client of Arliss takes kind of my, one of my gigs away because Arliss needed to get other benefits from giving him the thing. And right at the beginning of the show, I, we, Arliss is supposed to be renegotiating contracts for me. And I said, look, Arliss, I just don't want to end up doing ping pong in Da Nang. <laughs> so, of course, the last scene of the show is me announcing ping pong in the at the Denang finals, <laughs> it was well, it was a joy working with Robert. He's a lovely man. I got to meet Sandra Oh, who was on that series, who of course has become a, a huge huge star. Uh, she was a wonderful woman, and I remember being in makeup, having a chance to chat with her. She was right next to me, and I I, uh, I chatted with her for oh 30, 40 minutes. It was wonderful. And uh, at that time, you know, who knew if she was a fine actress, but who knew she was going to become such an amazing star? And uh, she deserves it. She's a, a delightful woman. So when, when you left the fight game at ESPN, you got to do some other stuff. And I remember yeah. watching you do men's basketball. And it was really yeah. fun. And it, I, gosh, Al's doing basketball. That had to be a big change and, and a lot of fun for you. Yeah, it turned out to be very good for me because I still had time left on my ESPN contract. And even though I'd left the top ranked boxing series, I wasn't leaving the, the company. So it was, and, and, and uh, I won't go into any details about all that, but uh, I'll leave that for another day. And then maybe never another day, never, because I still haven't commented <laughs> on it in what, how many years. Um, but I, I did get to do it. I, got, I wanted to do play-by-play -play on uh, basketball and did get to do it. I covered the sports center. Uh, folks took advantage of me being available to them. And I covered all kinds. I covered the draft. I covered uh, NBA basketball uh, and many other things. And so it was uh, in baseball, a lot of uh, uh, major league baseball during that period of time. Plus I still did boxing shows on classic ESPN classics. So it was, it was, it turned out to be a fruitful period for me. And it was, uh, and it was fun to get a chance. And then that led to me doing a, uh, you know, a daily all sports radio show. So uh, it, it, it was fun to, to be able to do that because I did feel a bit pigeonholed 
in doing only boxing, although I love the sport. So, so if, you were, if you had an opportunity, Al, to do one sport, remake yourself, what would it be besides boxing? Uh, it'd be basketball. Yeah, okay. I, I love doing play-by-play in basketball. And one of the most fun things were, was doing those college basketball games because the atmosphere is so uh, exciting and so uh, intense. And, uh, and it, it was great. So probably if there was a, a sport that I could do on a regular basis, if it wasn't boxing, it would be, it would be that one. Uh, this has been fun visiting with all of you. Uh, Trip. you uh, have been a joy as always. And uh, our next episode will feature Joe Goosen, the terrific trainer and now excellent broadcaster uh, on uh, Fox. Uh, one of my best friends, uh, full disclosure, he's one of my best friends in boxing. Uh, Joe and I have spent many a many a night uh, sitting around watching SCTV reruns together, <laughs> <laughs> which is no, nothing could be more fun than that. Uh, and uh, so we're going to look forward to seeing you then. Again, my thanks to Tripp and uh, Lee and everybody that puts this show together. And we will see you next time.